I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. As we continue our chronological reading of the Gospels, today we're reading Matthew chapter 15, and we're beginning with Mark chapter 7 verse 1 and reading down through chapter 8 verse 9. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. So here's where we are with regard to Jesus' ministry. He's still ministering in northern Israel and even into Syria, then around the Sea of Galilee. And these events take place in the last year of Jesus' ministry before his crucifixion. In Matthew chapter 15, verses 1 through 20, and Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 23, we have Jesus answering the Pharisees about hand washing. Verse 1 of Matthew chapter 15. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profits you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men." When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Then Peter answered and said to him, Explain this parable to us. So Jesus said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man." For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Now over to Mark's account in Mark chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem, And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. 
Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition." For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, If a man says to his father or mother, Whatever profits you might have received from me is Corban, that is, a gift to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition which ye have handed down, and many such things you do." When he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods? And he said, What comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile a man. Well, here we go. The, the Pharisees, they wash their hands a lot. They acknowledge in this passage that the practice was the tradition of the elders. Literally, it was part of that oral tradition that had been passed down. This oral tradition is the equivalent of our federal judges issuing opinions regarding applications of our United States Constitution. These oral traditions were finally written down in the 2nd century A.D. into what is known as the Mishnah. That's a six-volume set of books. By the 5th century, the oral addendum to the Mishnah had grown into a 63-volume set of books known as the Talmud. Now try reading that through in a year. This hand-washing ritual before meals, the violation of which the disciples were being criticized, well, it had no basis in the Law of Moses. However, since it was one of those very sacred extra-scriptural observances of these pious Jewish leaders, they were very critical. It was not a question of hygiene, but moral purity as far as they were concerned, all man-made law. Mark goes into more detail than Matthew regarding the background and basis of this pharisaical practice of ritual washings in verses 2-5 through five of his account. So, how do you answer a stupid question? Now, I say stupid question because this hand-washing doctrine, well, it had no basis in Mosaic law. It wasn't a sincere query, just the Pharisees trying to find fault with Jesus and his disciples. Jesus chooses another of their laws to show how they blatantly had been using their special supplement to the law of Moses for selfish gain. 
On the one hand, they considered it their personal responsibility to care for their parents in their old age. As a matter of fact, Jesus mentions two laws regarding the treatment of parents, the fifth commandment found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, and also the provision which forbids cursing one's parents in Exodus chapter 21, verse 17. But what if you were so selfish that you didn't want to take care of your parents? Well, here's the loophole, and it's called Corban. That's the Hebrew word for offering to God. It's used 82 times in the Old Testament in the context of sacrificial offerings or oblations brought to the tabernacle or the temple, and 78 of those times are found in Leviticus and Numbers. Now, Mark uses the exact Hebrew word transliterated, Corban, in his account. He wants to make certain that his readers understand exactly what loophole these hypocritical Pharisees are invoking here. However, they offered their possessions with a little bit of a twist. They would pledge their possessions to God, the temple, at their deaths, with full rights to use their own wealth as long as they desired while they were living. However, as they practiced it, this pledge prevented them from giving away any of these possessions for any reason, and that includes provisions for their parents in their old age, or so they said. Sorry, Mom and Dad, can't help, pledged all my possessions to God. Incidentally, what must your parents have done to you as a child to merit such treatment? What a loophole! Do you think that kind of hypocrisy and legal acrobatics will go unnoticed by Jesus? Jesus immediately points out that Isaiah had prophesied this kind of conduct by a disobedient Jewish nation. He said so in Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. He said this, Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. Jesus quotes Isaiah in Matthew chapter 15, verse 9, when here's what Jesus says, And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandment of men. Wow, that's exactly what they were doing. And I'm afraid that many religious people are still doing that today, just like Isaiah said they would, just like the Pharisees. So what happens when you mix tradition into your doctrine? I mean, giving that tradition the same weight as Scripture. Well, there's your answer in Mark chapter 7, verse 13, where he says, "...making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do." Hey, Jesus, we think you've insulted the Pharisees with this one, the disciples reported in Matthew chapter 15, verse 12. Now, Matthew, as an apostle, would have been on the scene when this exchange took place. He recalls in his account the concern the disciples had with regard to how this conflict seemed to set with the hypocritical Jewish leaders. Does it appear that Jesus' disciples may have thought it better to compromise a little on this one? Obviously, they didn't quite get it either. Hygiene is good, but moral purity has nothing to do with richly washing one's hands before eating or the sanitary condition of substances taken into the body. Now, here's what defiles. What defiles is that which proceeds out of a man. Now, here's the list of defining conduct in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, also in Mark chapter 7, verses 21 and 22. 
Jesus uses heart, the Greek word cardia, in this context, the same way we use it in English today, figuratively as the seat of the emotions and as the seat of thought. No educated person in Jesus' day believed that thinking processes literally took place in the heart. Therefore, when Jesus refers to a defiled heart, he's speaking of one who stands in rebellion against God. This defilement is a product of the Adamic nature of man. In other words, these Jewish leaders about whom Jesus was speaking, they didn't have an authentic relationship with God. And that's the core problem. And that's the problem that Jesus is addressing here. In our next section of Scripture, we read about a very persistent Gentile woman in Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28, and Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. Matthew 15, 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she cried, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Now Mark's account over in Mark chapter 7, verse 24. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For this saying, Go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. Now, Jesus here is north of Israel. He's actually up near Tyre and Sidon, which is in Syria, and there he's ministering. This woman is of Canaanite descent, according to Matthew, and Mark reports that she's a native of the Phoenician seaboard up in Syria. She's a Syrophoenician, probably Greek in religion and also in speech. She's quite perceptive when she cries out to Jesus and says, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. Matthew saw the exact phrasing of this plea to be significant. It demonstrated that she knew who Jesus was and why he had come, his messianic mission. She understood that. Jesus points out that his primary ministry is to present himself as Messiah to the Jews. And she's a Gentile, not a Jew. She's persistent, though not really interested in those kind of technicalities. Could it be that she also understood that the prophet Isaiah had prophesied that the Messiah would indeed also be ministering to Gentiles? That's in Isaiah 54. She's a quick thinker too, very fluent with the perfect rebuttal. 
And the rebuttal is that the dog's eating crumbs off the table. That's the rebuttal. As scavengers, dogs ate whatever wasn't consumed by the intended recipient. And so the result of this scavenger illustration, Jesus heals her daughter. And next we see that some folks just can't keep a secret. Matthew chapter 15, verses 29 through 31, and Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. First Matthew chapter 15, beginning with verse 29. Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on the mountain and sat down there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Now over to Mark chapter 7, beginning with verse 31. Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then, looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one, but the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Well, Jesus left Syria, and he's now ministering in Decapolis. That's southeast of the Sea of Galilee. This area was predominantly occupied by Greeks, where Matthew simply reports that Jesus healed a multitude of people who were brought to him. Mark, on the other hand, recalls for us on that occasion the healing of one particular man, a deaf and dumb man. Mark gives a detailed account, including the Aramaic word ephetha, Jesus uses that word when he commands that the man's ears be opened. The multitude, they're way impressed and subsequently publish these miracles despite Jesus' plea that they do not do so. And then we have the feeding of a multitude again in Matthew chapter 15 verses 32 through 39 and Mark chapter 8 verses 1 through 9. First Matthew 15 verse 32. Now Jesus called his disciples to himself and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And I do not want to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Then his disciples said to him, Where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven and a few little fish. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets full of the fragments that were left. Now those who ate were four thousand men besides women and children. And he sent away the multitude, got into the boat, and came to the region of Magdala. Now over to Mark's account, Mark chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. 
In those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their own houses, they will faint on the way, for some of them have come from afar. Then his disciples answered him, How can one satisfy these people with bread here in the wilderness? He asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they set them before the multitude. They also had a few small fish, and having blessed them, he said to set them also before them. So they ate and were filled, and they took up seven large baskets of leftover fragments. Now those who had eaten were about 4,000, and he sent them away. Now this crowd had been with Jesus for three days, and they're hungry, all 4,000 of them. Matthew points out that the 4,000 was just in the counting of the men present who were fed, not counting women and children. Look at the questions posed by the disciples in verse 33. Where could we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a great multitude? Hey, didn't you guys learn anything back in Matthew chapter 14 when the 5,000 plus were fed? Another feed miracle takes place from only seven loaves of bread and a few small fishes with lots of leftovers. At the conclusion of this miracle, we see that Jesus took a ship to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It says in verse 39 that he came to the region of Magdala. Magdala was a city on the west coast of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. The events of this passage are immediately followed by those of Matthew chapter 16 and Mark chapter 8, verses 10 through 12. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Fayette Bible Church, Paul Walton.